Good morning. Great to see you. Yeah, my name's Stephen, and uh, one of the leaders here at Emmanuel. Just extend my welcome to you as well. Uh, Whether you're part of the family, nice to see you. Always nice to be together. Uh, but if you're a guest here, welcome to you as well. And as uh, Nay and Christian mentioned, it is a bit of a unique Sunday uh, for us, or, you know, probably, uh, you know, one of these Sundays that we, in the year that kind of stand out because we're going to talk a lot about giving uh, this morning, giving money away. Maybe that's your uh, perception of church. Your church, you're always after your money. And the answer is, yeah, we kind of are. And uh, because we see it in Scripture all the time. And so as a people uh, together, each week we talk about giving our money as an expression of our love and devotion for God. We see believers right from the early church uh, set aside something each week or each month to give into the ongoing mission of the church to tell people about the good news of Jesus. So we talk about it every week. And I'm going to encourage you, a church member, that's something for us to keep looking at. How can we give of what God has given to us on a regular basis that reflects God's kind of stewardship and faithfulness? Must keep doing that. Uh, but as well as that, we also see in the scriptures there's times where people go over and beyond that regular giving and uh, give offerings out of thanksgiving or for particular purposes. And so as a church, we've really built that into the rhythm of who we are as well. And so three times a year, as Christian said, we go over and beyond and give to other things. And so this one, the awesome term, uh, over de- definitely over the last kind of five, six years, we've given into helping uh, the poor. And that is what we're giving to today. Lovely, again, just to see some of the work that's going on because of the money you gave last year. Uh, Maybe we can dream together. God, what would you do this year uh, as we give into these uh, purposes? So I want to help us, though, as we, as we do that. Not say, oh, it's just a good thing, give you money, that's a good video. But looking at the scriptures, what is it that God would say about this? And let me tell you, God would say that it is a good thing. Uh, but it's not just a good thing. It's not just good and right. It's not just loving and kind. But the scriptures would say it is divine. It is godly. It's heavenly to be those who care about the poor and give ourselves, give our money to the care of them. And so we're going to look, at, look and find that from Luke chapter 4. And so if you've got Bibles with you, feel free to turn there. But we'll have it read to us in just a few moments. And officially, we are out of our Virtual Jesus series this morning. So although the, the stands are still there, it's actually not officially a Virtual Jesus uh, uh, kind of sermon this morning. Because it's not from John's Gospel. And it's not looking at one of the I Am statements. But I want to say to you, it does fit the theme. Because all the time I've been looking at, who does Jesus say he is? We've all got our kind of virtual Jesus, the kind of Jesus we think he is. But when we open the scripture, we find the real one. Well, actually, we're just going to continue to do that this morning. We're going to look at who the real Jesus is. And again, from his own words, he doesn't use an I am statement this morning. But he does say who he is and what he has come to be and come to do as well. So if you're a believer, this helps us, again, line up with this Jesus we worship and follow. Or if you don't know Jesus yet, here is an opportunity, a little window into who is he? Who is this Jesus that this church is talking about, is passionate about? Maybe a friend who's brought, to you, brought you along. You think, okay, well, who is this Jesus they're talking about? Well, this scripture and hopefully this sermon will hopefully give you uh, more of a window into it as well. So Jesus is uh, speaking in uh, Luke chapter 4, but he's using the words of the book of Isaiah which was written hundreds of years uh, before he was born. And he's using Isaiah's words to just tell us who he is and what he's about. So why don't we turn our attention to the screens and we'll listen to Jesus' words together. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, 
the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Let me pray for us um, as we begin to unpack these words together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for the words they contain words that you've chosen for us to hear and to pour over. And we pray as we do that this morning, uh, that you would speak to each and every heart here. Thank you, God, that you were anointed for good things. Lord, thank you, the same spirit anointed you is available and present here as well. Pray, anoint me as I speak, Lord God, but I pray, anoint each of our hearts and minds and ears and lives, Lord God, that we might receive what you say and may respond in worship to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is from Luke chapter 4. And uh, so far in Luke, if you read the other three chapters, what's happened so far is Jesus has been born. And uh, we've been told where his genealogy comes from, his family tree. Uh, we've also been heard a bit, about, a bit about John the Baptist. And Jesus then gets baptized. And then Jesus goes out into the desert and is tempted uh, for 40 days and 40 nights and passes the test that he's given. And then this is the first act that he does publicly that Luke records. And what's he done? He's gone to his hometown. He's done all that and he's gone back to his hometown, basically to declare the beginning of his public ministry. And as I was considering this, I was thinking, oh, what would it be like for me to go back to my hometown and to declare the beginning of maybe my public ministry? Uh, here's a little window into my life. I think if I wasn't a church pastor, this thing doesn't work out. I quite like the idea of being involved in politics, maybe a bit of local politics. So I was like, oh, what would this look like? And so uh, I was brought up in uh, Chalfont St. Peter in Buckinghamshire, uh, which makes me sound much posher than I am, I assure you. And, uh, and uh, Chalfont St. Peter, it's, not, it's nowhere special. It used to be the biggest village in England. It's now the fifth biggest village in England, which isn't quite the same kind of claim. I know, but that's where I was brought up. I thought maybe this would be like me going back to Champ St. Peter and just kind of gathering some people that I used to know and say, hey, just so you know, this is the beginning of my prime ministerial campaign. Join with me. And uh, I think most people look at me thinking, sorry, who are you? <laughs> and uh, why are you here? So, well, I'm, I'm this wonderful person who you should get behind as I go into politics. And I don't think I get much of a reaction. Well, this is kind of what Jesus does. He kind of goes to Nazareth. He goes to the most public place. For me, it's Gold Hall Common, back in Chapman St. Peter, by the clock tower. For him, it's the synagogue in Nazareth. And he stands up and he reads this scroll and then claims that it is about him. Now, people in Chapman St. Peter, they heard me say something. And I, back when I was the age of 30, I could have claimed to have done basically not much with my life at that point. But here, Jesus, Jesus has done nothing up to this point that's of any really real note. We don't read much about it. He's standing and saying some amazing claims. And the people in Chalfon would say, Stephen, we don't even know who you are. But Jesus, he kind of got the, that reaction. But the things he says, though, at that point, ends up receiving amazing reaction. We should see at the end of the passage, yeah, all eyes are fixed on him. As we go through a few more verses, eventually the people listening to him are filled with wrath and try to attack, with it, attack him. Such were the things that he said. Because Jesus is given the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And um, 
This is a, a bit of literature from the Old Testament. You can read it for yourself. And uh, he was claiming that the person that Isaiah was describing was he himself. And uh, Isaiah was writing at a time when the nation of Israel was, in, uh, was going into captivity and then went into captivity. They were captive by the Babylonians. And they're in a pretty bad place. And so they were under God's judgment and going through all kinds of difficulty. And if you read the book of Isaiah, which I have recently done in my Bible reading, after a few days, it's pretty depressing. You're like, and this is going to happen to you. And this is going to happen to you. And then it's going to get worse. And then it's going to get worse. As a whole book, you know, just reading a couple of chapters each day, it's a bit grinding after a while. Gosh, these guys really got it wrong. And God really was going to teach them a lesson. But near the end of Isaiah, the tone lifts. And there's these three wonderful chapters about the fact that God is going to raise them up, heal them, and restore them. And he's going to do it through this unnamed, kind of all-conquering saviour. And these, these chapters are the chapters that Jesus reads from. He reads and says, this saviour that the prophet Isaiah talked about, who did, okay, and kind of when the, was kind of the instigator of uh, uh, Salvation for Israel, those many hundred years ago, that same saviour is me. He's the one who set things right and rescued them. I'm going to do the same. And he's speaking into a context, not of people in exile, but people who are under, um, uh, who are currently enemy occupied. The Romans are occupying Israel at this point. So there are people who want a saviour. And he's speaking right into that and saying, I am this amazing saviour that they needed and that you need as well. And this provoked a bit of a reaction, to say the least, in them. A bit like these last few weeks we've seen, when Jesus talks about I am. He's borrowing language of who God is and saying that it's about him. And for the people who listen at the time, they didn't just bristle a little bit and think, oh, you have a propensity to grandiosity. You have delusions of grandeur. You have a Messiah complex. No, they get angry. Because they are people who live by God's code. You know, the Ten Commandments and some. But even the first three commandments talk about having no other God but God. Not having any idols. Not using God's name in vain. Here's Jesus saying, hey, just so you know, I, me in my flesh, I am God. That's who I'm claiming to be. And so throughout our Virtual Jesus series, we've had various interviews to start each sermon. Uh, some kind of things we borrowed from the internet, other pe- things we've spoken to people about in the city. And the amount of people who say, yeah, Jesus obviously is a historical figure. There's evidence to that. But I just think he's a good person. Jesus not just claimed to be a good person. Jesus claims to be God. There's no denying when you read these things here. So he either has some warped view of who he is. This man has gone crazy. Or as C.S. Lewis say, he's not just mad. Maybe he's bad. Maybe he's this cult leader trying to trick people into following him. I'm hoping today as we look at these scriptures, we'll find that he's neither of those things. He really is who he says he is. He really is grand, grand on a whole another scale. And not leading people into deception, but into truth and into goodness as well. As we go back to the story, I love this detail. He rolled up the scroll and he gave it back and sat down. Thought It's like the ultimate mic drop moment. It's like, yeah. I'm a saviour, just to be really clear. It's like, man, talk about rubbing in their faces. So they responded, yes, the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. Such was their surprise. But as I said, eventually they moved to wrath. As they begin to question him and begin to find out, what do you mean by that? He said, yes, the words of the prophet are fulfilled in me. 
So what are these statements that so riled up the crowds? That's what we're going to spend our time looking at. I'm going to look under three headings. Firstly, that Jesus is the anointed one. Then we're going to look at the fact that he was anointed to do good works. And then we're going to look at the fact that we are also anointed people to do the same. But let's look at that first one. Jesus is the anointed one. God's people in uh, the book of Isaiah are in exile. Babylon, a far away land from where they lived. They were threatened. They were oppressed. They were harassed in lots of ways. They were defeated, defeated by their own sin as a result of their own weakness and their wrongdoing. Their land, the land of Judah, they'd left behind. Some people had got left behind, but for them, it was pretty bad as well. Their land had been ransacked. The cities destroyed and demolished, and they were subject to all kinds of ill treatment by the neighboring nations as well. Things were not good for the people of Israel. But the reality is, life today is no better as you look around the world. We'll see that there are also exiles and refugees, those who are suffering from all kinds of hardship. At the moment, we, as we look around, you know, there always have been wars, but right now for us, I guess in the UK media, it's front and centre as much as it's ever been, really. People face financial ruin, ruin uh, relationships in tatters, People defeated in their minds and hearts at the end of themselves. And even if their lands are not ransacked, maybe they would describe that their lives are like it too. These people knew what it was to live in difficulty. People know that today. This is not, these aren't historic issues. These are the real things of life. When we talk about poverty, we know that poverty is everywhere. As Neville just said a minute ago, Jesus very clearly said elsewhere in the scriptures, the poor will always be among you. Now, there will come a, come a time where Jesus comes back. The Bible is very clear about that. He's going to come back and all sickness and sadness and poverty will end. And he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. But until that time, in a time which we do not know how long or short there will be, it says the poor will be amongst you. Suffering will be amongst you. It's a cheery message. Now, today's message is... But there is hope. In Isaiah's time, there was hope embodied in this person that Isaiah proclaimed for us. We proclaim the same person, this Jesus, this anointed conqueror who will set all things right, but also who is setting all things right. Jesus declares right at the top, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Jesus is coming out swinging. He's really clear that the Lord of all the universe is with him. And that God's spirit is resting upon him. It is his power, his authority, his blessing, his approval all comes from God. Let me go back to my prime ministerial launch campaign in Chapman St. Peter. If I was there, I'd be saying, yes, I'm going to launch out into my campaign. People of Chapman St. Peter, all 30 of you, join me and uh, sign up and get on your social media and back me and share and post and maybe to help that, maybe I'd bring along someone, maybe my family, my beautiful family stands there taking up most of the platform. I'd say they're, they're with me, but maybe if I was really clever, I'd find someone else to stand with me as well. So sometimes when people launch their campaigns, they get a big hitter to come with them, kind of endorse their campaign. And so sometimes they might get the current leader, maybe they'd get, I'd get Rishi Sunak. I'm not sure whether that would do me any favours or not. Or maybe one of my kind of more recent political heroes, that not by any means do I agree with all his politics for everything that he's done, but maybe Obama. Can you imagine me turning up to my little kind of a southern English village and had Obama with me? Michelle and Barack. 
I'd be like, I was like, well, I'm running for a prime minister. They, didn't, they wouldn't even need to say anything. Just the photo opportunity, them standing there. I reckon I'd make national news. It's like, wow, the Obamas backed this guy for prime minister. Suddenly it's a game changer. Jesus is basically saying, just so you know, the Lord God of the universe, the one that you worship is with me. And his spirit is resting upon me. Not just with him, but anointing him. This special presence, this special endowment, recognition and power to do what he's being asked to do. Elsewhere in the scriptures, we see this anointing of the Spirit worked out in particular ways. One is anointing upon royalty. Often those who are stepping into kingship, they're anointed by God. We often had oil poured on them. Something we still do today with our king, bizarrely. This oil uh, is, not, is, is put upon people as a sign that the Spirit is upon them to lead the people that God's given to lead. It's also given to priests. Priests are anointed by oil as a sign that God is upon them as they make requests for the people. As they kind of mediate, as they act as the connection between heaven and earth, between God and people. As they perform their special duties and present sacrifices by God, they need to be anointed for such special tasks. People and things are also anointed to be made holy. Things that we otherwise infected by the things of the earth, as it were, are anointed to make them holy, to make them special for the purpose that they're needed for, to identify them with God and his purposes. This is what Jesus is claiming is happening to him, that he is being anointed, that God is with him, that he has come from the holy place, from heaven, that he has God the Father's utter approval. Just a few verses before this, uh, Jesus' baptism, it says the heavens opened and God says, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. What an amazing thing to happen. He is anointed as royalty as well. He is anointed as priest. He is anointed as holy, set apart, never to do anything wrong and to be the perfect sacrifice when it comes. All these things are true of this amazing anointing that comes upon Jesus. Whether the people of Nazareth acknowledge it or not, whether they like it or not, this is what is true about Jesus. When he declares this, before he's even started his ministry, he is from God. He is God. And he's come to do the Lord's will. And that's the really important to know. He's come to do what God wants him to do. Not just anointed and blessed for the sake of it, although that is true too. But blessed to be a blessing. Anointed to go and do God's works. Whenever we see the Spirit being poured out in the Bible, it's never just for the moment. It's so that it sends people into what God has for them. Jesus here is not just anointed to make a name for himself or to build an empire or amass wealth or increase his influence. What's he anointed for? Let's see it in the next line. It says this. Jesus is anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. When Jesus starts his public ministry, what does he want people to know? He knows, I'm here to give good news to the the poor. And that takes us into point number two, anointed to do good works. And uh, Jesus says it's good news for the poor, but it actually goes into five statements. We'll just quickly dash through. So let's start with this good news for the poor one. Jesus is here to give the gospel. You'll hear that word maybe before. We say it a lot around the church. What does it mean? It's just a shortcut way of saying the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. 
Jesus came to live and to die in our place, to take the punishment so that we might be those who are forgiven and welcomed into the family of God. Where our connection with God is broken by our actions, our thoughts, our deeds, our words, Jesus came to fix that by living a perfect life, a perfect life we could not live, that we might be joined with him. And as much as Jesus goes on to do amazing things, he continues just to proclaim this coming kingdom. And uh, it's not to take away from the fact that he also did amazing works, but the message is just as important as the works. We see this, I love the story of the 10 lepers that Jesus heals. Jesus doesn't come just to hang out with princes and kings and royalty and bigwigs. No, he comes to hang out with lepers, which in their time, those people with uh, kind of debilitating, uh, contagious skin diseases that were cast out from society and communities. He comes upon, a group, comes upon a group of them and he prays for them and they are healed. And uh, they're healed instantly and they go away rejoicing, all 10 of them. But one comes back. One comes back and comes towards Jesus, expresses thanks. And Jesus becomes this, his actual saviour. Doesn't just meet his felt needs, but the actual good news of who Jesus is begins to land in that man's heart. Does that take away from the, what he did to the other nine? Did the other nine receive good from God? Absolutely. But there's something more to be received as well. Not just having our needs met, but you know, kind of our immediate needs as it were, but having our ultimate needs met. That's what happens here. I want to say to you, that's why unashamedly, if you come to one of our four food banks, in the list of things, when one of our people who volunteers sits down with someone who comes in, one of the guests, they sit down and say, you know, do you need milk? Do you bread? Do you pasta today? What do you need? Do you need some financial help? Do you need help with your housing? What can we offer you? But you know there's a box there that says Alpha? And unashamedly, we put it on there. Because we know the message of Jesus' good news is ultimately the thing that people need most. We don't scrub off the rest of the list. We care about that too. And if they say no to Alpha, it doesn't impact us. We're still going to love the person who is in front of us. But unashamedly, our food banks are gospel food banks. There's lots of people doing lots of good, but we know that people need to hear the good news and what Jesus has done. So he says, yes, good news to the poor. What else does Jesus say? He says, liberty to the captives and liberate the oppressed as well. What do people need? They need freedom. People are bound up by all kinds of cares of life, not just those in poverty. All of us get bound up at times. Different anxieties creep in, seek to drag us down, steal our joy. And I've never known such a season of a pastor where people come and talk to me about this, the black cloud of anxiety and difficulty that just kind of stays over their life. I think that there's some of those hangovers from the pandemic. It's just not just all out of sorts and out of our usual rhythms. So it's always there, but it just feels right now it's more keen than ever. Jesus wants to come and liberate people from that. That we're not meant to be anxious people, but to be free people. Even if our circumstances change, we're convinced who is with us and for us, that we can live peaceful lives. We have peace in our minds and hearts that transcend understanding. That's what it says in Philippians 4. That although looking with understanding at our lives, we think this is terrible. I should be anxious, but God and it can lift us. That's what Jesus has come to preach. Also, freedom from sin. The Bible talks about sin that so easily entangles. The things we do wrong or the things that people do wrong to us, they entangle us. They ensnare us. They stop us moving forward in life. They stop us enjoying God, enjoying one another. Unforgiveness and bitterness can twist us up. Sometimes not even be able to forgive ourselves. 
Jesus comes to say, in me there is forgiveness. In me there is freedom. In me there's an ability to forgive those who've hurt you, that you can walk into healing and freedom. Freedom from lies. Our world preaches to us all kinds of wrongs all the time. Things that we choose to lean on that actually ensnare us. Believing that good looks or sex or money or fame are somehow going to fulfill us, but actually entrap us. I love that uh, the church that we planted into Amsterdam, led by Matt and Joe Simmons, they called their church Liberty. And uh, in a city, Amsterdam, known for its freedom, sexual freedoms, freedom towards drugs and all kinds of lifestyles, I think that church recognises actually those things don't free people. They wrap people up and ensnare them. And they want to bring true liberty, true freedom that Jesus comes to offer. Offer. So good news to the poor, liberty to captives and oppressed, recovery of sight to the blind. I was in a car recently with one of my kids, and we're talking about old age. And, um, and uh, we were saying, would you rather, I don't know how we play would you rather, but all kinds of silly things all the time. Would you rather, in your 80s, be crazy rich and be able to do whatever you want and have access to everything you want, or have good health? We're like, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, some stuff I'd like. Uh, but we landed on probably good health because you have everything. But if you can't get out of bed by yourself in the morning, you can't enjoy. You know, you can buy care and that kind of stuff. But to have good health, it's true with life. God wants us to have good health. And in this broken world, many of us don't. My knees creak like you wouldn't believe. But all of us carry ailments. And if we don't yet, we will as we get older. And the new heavens and earth, that won't be the case. The reality is we're to be those who pray of more of heaven on earth. We're to be those who pray for the miraculous. And you look at the life of Jesus, that's what he came to do. The amount of times it said, and all were healed. Just a few short words in a verse. You're like, what? He goes to a place and all were healed. Can you imagine how transforming that is to a society? As a church, we must keep praying. We have prayer teams every, each and every Sunday because we believe that God still heals today. We want more of that. The reality is you see more healings, the more you pray. Let's be those who are praying, people who believe God for the miraculous. Recovery of sight to the blind and every other ailment as well. That's what Jesus does. That's what we're to do. And the last statement before he kind of does his mic drop moment, he says, I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. This is alluding to the year of Jubilee, uh, something that God built into uh, the kind of the society of Israel. And it's a place where God resets things. Where things get wonking out of, out of shape, where people get themselves into captivity, or they lose things financially, or things just aren't good in the nation. There's a reset moment, the year of jubilee, of freedom, of goodness. And here Jesus says, it's the year of the Lord's favour. When is that? That's now. That's when GUS, wherever Jesus is, is the year of the Lord's favour. If you look around right now, you look at the news, look at things, it can feel like this is a year of despair, of difficulty, of pain. And it follows a, 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 a few years of that and maybe a few decades of that. Life is difficult and terrible. And get our heads down there. It's just bleak. The world is bleak. Jesus says, no, it's not. This is the year of the Lord's favour. Well, I am here to bring hope and liberty and proclaim good news. It's not that those things aren't real. It's not that difficult. It isn't real. But there is hope in Jesus. And that's what we're to proclaim. We're to proclaim it prophetically as kingdom people, that Jesus is bringing his kingdom to bear on the earth. That's who Jesus is. That's what he's proclaiming. The good news this morning is that 
You and I, if you are in Christ, are also anointed by the Spirit to proclaim good news. He is the one who comes to anoint us by his Spirit. When he left to return to heaven, he said, My Spirit, I'm going to send to you to be your helper, to be your anointer. Let's go back to my Chavant St. Peter Prime Ministerial launch. I've got the Obamas there, but suddenly I'm going to swap the Obamas out for Jesus himself. Jesus' Spirit is there to say, I am standing with you. I'm anointing you for this. But let me tell you, it's even better than that. It's not just that Jesus is with us or that we're going to be a bit like him. No, the Bible says that we're going to put him on. We're going to be in Christ, in Christ's anointing. A bit like we were hearing last week from George, the vine and the branches. Jesus is this vine and we are the branches. The same life that is in him is in us. The same anointing that is in him is in us. The same promises that are his are ours. This branch is attached, you and me as branch, attached to this vine. And where does the fruit appear? It appears in our life. It's an amazing thing that God, he's the vine, but he said, but you can be my branch. You know what? I'll let the fruit happen through your lives. Such is the anointing that is upon you. We now, because of Jesus, we're in him. We are also children of God. The Father opened the heavens and said to Jesus, I'm pleased with you. You are my beloved. You know what? He says that to us. You are my children. You are my beloved in whom I am well pleased. I haven't done much. But Jesus still says over us. Even before Jesus had done anything on earth, God said it over him. He says it over us. It's not something, simply something uh, we do or follow Jesus into. We do it because it's part of our nature as those who are in Christ. It flows from who we are. So what? Plenty of other people do good stuff. But does it really matter that we're in Christ to go and do these things? I know lots of people who do much more than I do in terms of serving other people. Why is it any different that we should be in Christ to do these good things, to give or to serve or to pray? Well, firstly, it's a sign of goodness to all creation that anyone does anything good. If you know people in your life think they're really charitable, they're brilliant. You know what? Praise God. Because every person upon earth is made in his image. Every person. And God puts a conscience in each person that means that it prevents a lot of wrong and sin. We know that there's wrong and we act, act accordingly. Not all the time, but any means. It also gives us a conscience that gives us care for other people. And that kind of a very base little people care for themselves, they care for their family, they care for their particular tribe of people. You know, that's a good thing that comes from God. But there is something different for the believer, for the person who's in Christ. Because we don't just care for the person who, uh, who's immediately connected to us. We care for all people as God calls us to do. And we get to offer them something that others can't. We don't just attend to their immediate need or maybe to their good in life. We attend to their eternal destiny. Another good thing is that we don't run out or grow weary of doing good. I had the privilege of working with a local millionaire for a little season on some of the projects that they were involved in. And um, I watched then become, go from a very hopeful person to becoming very jaded. And they got jaded because some of the things they're involved in, the people did not receive their care with gratitude. They came jaded because corruption got involved. People started using their resources or kind of overinflating what they needed. I just began to go jaded. Just, you know, I don't want to do that project anymore. I'm going to build something else. And I want to build something else. Because each one eventually faded. The kind of the good they were getting back for it eventually faded. 
our involvement in these kinds of things, in terms of serving the poor, does not come from what we get back. It comes from God above. The endless kind of uh, commissioning, the endless spirit anointing, it doesn't run out. It runs and runs and runs. We also don't shrink back when things are not fashionable anymore. I think Matt Davis, who I just want to say is a, just a great man of God, he's done a brilliant job of heading up our care teams and drawing the threads together. We are doing more because of his involvement and God's anointing upon him. He's done brilliantly. But he was talking there about the way we kind of, kind of commission or prioritise our, our projects. And they're ones that are one that we see in the scripture, scripture mandating them. And then comes from the sense of prophetic that now, God, what is it now you're asking us to address with? Knowing that the need is much and our resources finite, what are we supposed to do? And the third one is what's the priorities of the locality? So the four things we're involved in, these four videos, they're very much aligned with what the, the local authority published a few years back, about four particular priorities that were theirs. And we've begun to try and match up, listening to our city, how can we help? But we're also very clear, what if the politics change? What if those things are no longer fashionable? Well, you know what? It doesn't affect us. It doesn't matter, ultimately, what the city or what other people say. We ask that saying, the Spirit, what are you leading us to do? Right now, it's fashionable and good. I'm giving a nation to care and have compassion upon others. We don't care without wax or wanes. We all stay true to what God asks us to do. And if it lines, praise God. We'd love to partner with those in the city as well. But ultimately, we take our lead from him. There are things that we have fruit that will last says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Um, whoever abides in me and I in him, he, is, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He goes on to say, that you'll bear fruit and fruit that will last. And sometimes we can work with people and do, be involved in things and it feels like, oh, they, they've, they came for a bit, they've gone for a bit. Is this really lasting? But we, as we trust God and prayerfully pour over the things we're doing, we know that actually whether we see it now in this moment, if we see it in a year's time, 10 years' time, maybe not even within our lifetime, God, you've promised that these, fruits, uh, these fruitful works will have a lasting impact. And we're trusting you for that. The last thing I'll know on this is that the reason this is different to what other people involved in is because we're partaking in the divine. This is part of our worship, as well as our living out what it is to be in Christ. It says this in Galatians 3.27. For as many of you as were baptised into Christ have put on Christ. We've put him on. When we serve others, when we give today, we're just living out who we are in Christ. My aim in life is to glorify him. Not because he needs it, but because that's what I'm made to do. And I do that by worshipping him, yes, and being anointed by spirit, by lifting my hands in worship and singing songs, but also as we walk these things out. It's not an add-on for us. It's central to who we are. Remembering the poor is who we are as the anointed people to proclaim good news. I love that our church plants, some of them big, some of them small, but right at the heart, they all know that remembering the poor is part of it. They might not be able to do the plethora of projects that we're involved in at our size, but right from the off, they know that remembering the poor is part of the priority. In fact, we see that in the scriptures. When the Apostle Paul goes to plant churches, what's he commissioned to do? He said, well, when you make sure you stay faithful to the gospel you believed. And there's only one extra thing. And what? Remember the poor. And he said, and I love that Paul's response is, which we were going to do anyway. 
It's like right in the beginning. It's like hold on to the gospel and remember to love and bless the poor. That's who you are. And we are to be anointed to go and do that. And that's something we're all to do. And I speak to people sometimes and say, hey, are you, how are you involved in serving the poor? It's like, oh, well, it's not really my thing. Or I'm not, you know, I don't really know the way to work out. Like, well, you, the Bible tells, says something else. The Bible says, no, you're in Christ. You would say, care for the poor and, and work it out. Well, I, I don't know how to work it out. Well, let me suggest some ways. One, you can give today. It's wonderful. When I get to see these videos and see what's happening, I think, you know what? I gave to that last year. I gave money towards that project. Those people, we obviously don't put many people's faces and names up here. We want to protect people's dignity. But I get to hear from behind the scenes all kinds of people's lives that are literally turned upside down and changed and set on a different path. Why? Because we've got to pray and give into it. Some of us need to go. Some of us are called to big works to do with those in the poor. Maybe that's hidden in your heart. Maybe I just encourage you to be brave. Why don't you share that with someone? Share with me. I love to get behind people and say, hey, yeah, if God's saying that, let's get behind that. Let's see where God would leave you, lead you. And let's pray. Let's be a people who are praying over these projects. These things are t- tough and difficult and they grind away. They need prayer to lubricate them, to make them go the way they need to go. We need to put oil in those gears. Maybe you could be one that encourages. We've had some people on the screen today. Find someone who's involved in these projects. Encourage them. Maybe for you it is to begin serving, serving in a food bank or serving in a different way. Let me go back to the prayer one. Maybe it's praying and say, God, is there something more that I'm meant to do? Sometimes we don't know what to do, but we can pray. In fact, most, in fact, these things are all birthed in prayer. Right now, I've kind of mentioned a few other prayer weeks. God's just speaking to me about the issue of suicide. I have no idea how to solve the issue of suicide in our city, in our nation. But I can pray and believe that God can use our prayers. And maybe that prayer will turn into action at some point. I don't know. But all of us can listen and love. I just want to talk about two guys in the Bible quickly. Bezalel and Aholiab. Everyone say Bezalel. Everyone say Aholiab. Good names. Uh, feel free to use that for your next child if you're pregnant. <laughs> I would have. And uh, these, these guys, I, I think, I didn't do my full research. I think they're the first guys that are anointed for a task in the Bible. And the task they're given is to help build the temple. It says this. I have called by name Bezalel, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence and knowledge and all craftsmanships, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, and I have given to all men uh, ability that they may make all I have commanded you. The tent of meeting, the ark of testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it. The furnishing of the tent, the table and its utensils, the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offerings, and the finely worked garments, etc., etc. These guys were anointed. You're like, oh, to be great worship leaders and preachers. No, 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 to make stuff. So I was like, what, what's this anointing that's upon us? Well, the anointing is to do all kinds of things. Some of us, we, need to, we are anointed already. We're anointed to go, to pray, to give, to serve. Let me encourage you. Grab hold of the fact that you are in Christ to do amazing things with your life, to be fruitful people. And yes, to be giving people. This morning, I say, God, would you give us generosity? It says elsewhere in another list of uh, spiritual gifts, those who are to give, do it generously. Are you, be, are you someone who's made to give? Some of you are made to make some serious money. That's the way that you outwork the anointing of God in your life so that you might fund church plants or ministries to the poor. Let me encourage you, lean into that. That is no less spiritual. That is part of a God's anointing upon us. Right, we've slowly gone over time. I'm going to ask Lou and the band to come up. 
And I just want to pray for us. Why don't we stand? We're not going to take uh, communion today. Um, what we do is in this first song, two songs, etc. We're just going to come to God. And I just say, God, you said that we are anointed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Each one of us can say that. And really just an opportunity to say, God, would you come and fill me afresh with your Spirit? If you're in Christ, you are already anointed with the Spirit of God. But there, that is that now sense of being freshly filled. That each of us needs to keep coming to God and saying, God, would you fill me? Not just for myself, although many in the room, maybe that's what you need first and foremost. Just need some sense of God's presence, his love, his healing. But all of us need to receive it to go and do the things he's asked us to do. I want to do things in my life that are extraordinary. I don't want them to be just the ordinary that I can do out of my own strength. I want to do things that are empowered by God. Have impact on those around me. That I might go further and do other things. And really my prayer is that God might take lives in this room and do the same as well. Why don't we just close our eyes? Maybe it just helps you just to lift out your hands. I'd love just to pray for us. We're going to sing some of these things. Let me just begin just by praying. Jesus, thank you. You said the Spirit is upon me because you have anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Thank you. We're in Christ and we say the same prayer. God, thank you. You have anointed me. And I want to pray those who want to just push away those words, Lord. I just want to pray right now. Please let our truth just land, Lord God. You have anointed those of us who are believers, who've turned to you. It means we have entered into every promise, every blessing that is yours, every inheritance, Lord God. Therefore, we have received your anointing. Your spirit is appointed. This helper, this comforter, this encourager, this strengthener, he is with us right now for our good, Lord, but also that we might proclaim your good to those around us, Lord. Yes, the poor, maybe the obviously poor, Lord God, but you know that anyone who hasn't got you at least has poverty of spirit, Lord. And we say, God, would you lead us? Would you commission us, even in this moment, Lord? Even as we consider the very practical thing of giving, Lord God, we just, in one sense, just park that for a moment, Lord, Lord. Just say, God, would you come and speak? Would you freshly commission each one of us, Lord? Would you be those who proclaim your liberty, we're to those who do, to do miraculous works, Lord. We're to be those who proclaim hope. The year of the Lord's favour, even in bleak times, in great difficulty, locally, nationally, internationally, Lord God. We're to be those who speak hope, speak goodness, stand in the gap and pray, believing, Lord, you have empowered us to do so, Lord God. So please just come and rest on different ones right now. Thank you, those you're already speaking to, Lord. I just pray sharpen our ability to hear. Help us to hear you for one another as well. Pray for the person who's not feeling it, Lord God. Thank you. That in one sense, it doesn't really matter. It's true because it's true because it's true. Whether we feel it or not. But today's the day we feel it, Lord. The truth is in the scripture, Lord. You have anointed us. We are in you to do great exploits. Come, would you just settle that matter in our hearts and minds, Lord God. We would not doubt, Lord, but we give ourselves to you and to what you're calling us to do and be, we pray. In Jesus' name, Jesus.